0: Good to see everyone this morning, and we do have a number of visitors, and thank you for coming, and hope that you will enjoy the time that we are spending together in worship of God. This is a topic that I've been thinking about for some time, the leaven of the Pharisees. And you know, sometimes society and even other individuals can influence us in some very subtle ways. I remember when I graduated from high school in 1975, the common dress for most of us men was a polyester leisure suit. Most of us look back now and wonder how in the world we could wear polyester suits with ties that were huge and lapels that your shirt was open with that covered the top of your collar of your suit as well. In fact, it looked awful silly now, looking back. I would say this generation is probably going to look back in several years and say, why did we get all those tattoos? Why did we allow those things to be a part of who we are? At least we could put our leisure suits in the back of the closet. Some of you are going to wonder about your tattoos in years to come. But the truth is, society does have a way of influencing us. And sometimes, as you think about that influence that comes upon you, you don't recognize that it's happening to you. Let me give you a good illustration. In Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 28, going through verse 34, Luke records for us the riot that happened in Ephesus. Demetrius, the silversmith, had stirred up a number of the people, and they all rushed into the theater... But if you'll notice particularly verse 32, he said, Some cried one thing and others another. And the assembly was confused, and listen carefully to what he says now, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Most of them did not know why they came together. People get worked up into a frenzy. People have others influencing them, and they don't really even sometimes know why they're influencing them. Sometimes it can be very negative as well. And I would suggest to you that when you listen to what Jesus is saying here, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, he's warning his closest followers. There can be an influence upon you by the Pharisees that is not good. And so this morning we're going to talk about three things as we look at this chapter and this verse. Number one, we're going to look at the figure of leaven. Used a lot in the Bible. Number two, we're going to look at the faction of the Pharisees. And then finally, the facing of reality in our own lives and acknowledging the fact that we sometimes ourselves are influenced in ways that are not good. Let's begin with the idea of the figure of leaven. Sometimes I have to look things up. Leaven or yeast is a single-celled fungus that causes bread to rise or sometimes liquids to ferment. It's a chemical process when sugar is turned into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Those bubbles that are in carbon dioxide is what causes the bread to rise Many of us today use self-rising flour, which has baking soda and salt that accomplishes that carbon dioxide, which causes the bread to rise. But in biblical times, they would use what would be called today sour dough, and they would take that dough that was sour and mix it in with freshly mixed dough, and it would cause a reaction to bring about the rising of that uh, dough. To bring about some bread. There are several places in the Bible where this idea is thought. And if you want to turn with me to some of these, I'd suggest you do. You may or may not on this one. But Hosea chapter 7 and verse 4. Hosea chapter 7 and verse 4. and Hosea is given a picture of Israel as she has been unfaithful to God. And he's going to describe using the idea of leaven, the influence. He says... In chapter 7 verse 4, they are all adulterers like an oven heated by a baker. He ceases stirring the fire after it is kneaded until it is leavened. He talks about the leaven and he says he keeps kneading that dough. He keeps stirring that dough until it's all leavened. The influence has to be thoroughly mixed there. In this case... That's what was happening with Israel. But perhaps I think the passage that would be most applicable to many of us and understanding this is found in the book of Exodus chapter 12. And I would encourage you to turn there. And while you're turning to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 15 and 19. The children of Israel were going through what we call the Passover. The twelfth plague brought on the Egyptians was the death of the firstborn. And God had them to put blood on their doorpost and on their lentil so that the death angel would pass over. And right after that, they're going to leave Egypt very quickly. And so here's what God tells them to do in verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove all the leaven. ...from your houses. For whoever eats bread from the first day to the seventh day... ...that person shall be cut off from Israel. You could not even have, according to verse 19... ...you couldn't even have any leaven in your house anywhere. So that sourdough that you would have saved... ...to leaven your bread had to be cast out. And thus began a a history, if you will... Of every year they're celebrating the feast of the Passover, and with it was also the feast of unleavened bread. And you drop down to verses 34 and 39 of this same, and you will find out that God had said, I want you to eat it, and I want you to eat it without having it leavened. And the explanation in verse 34 is they were packing their kneading bowls and they had all their stuff ready to go. And God said, there's no time for the bread to rise. You've got to go and you've got to go quickly. Now, a third usage in the Old Testament is in the book of Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 11. In the book of Leviticus, we have the number of sacrifices that were to be offered. And one of them was the grain offering offering. And you know they would offer animal sacrifices, the peace offerings and the blood burnt offerings. But there were also grain offerings that were offered and God wanted them to be pure. And in doing so he says in Leviticus chapter 2 verse 11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey And any offering to the Lord made by fire. So when they brought their sacrifices, if it was a grain offering, you couldn't put leaven in it to make it rise, nor could you put honey in it to make it like it was a cookie. God wanted it pure. He wanted none of it. And thus became what we might call a reference to leaven as a means of influence And when I get to the New Testament, I see it used as well in Luke chapter 13 and verse 20 and 21. Jesus talking about the growth of the kingdom. He says, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? He said, it is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal until it was all leavened. That gives me a little bit of idea of understanding the ratio they used. Three measures of meal compared to the leavened sourdough. So about 25% of it was the old sourdough. And then the woman mixed it all in, and then it became a full, complete lump of dough ready to be cooked. You and I need to recognize the Lord was trying to talk about the influence is the way the church would be. But another passage which I think may be helpful for us is one which shows us that leaven often was viewed in a very negative way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6, going through verse 8, he said, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Since you are truly unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the unleavened bread of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then like in the book of Galatians 5 verse 9, he says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And his point is simply this that you allow a little bit of sin to permeate the congregation, that pretty soon everyone will think it's okay to commit their own particular sin. And so, leaven is often viewed as a bad influencing agent. I think that helps us to understand and helps us to see that the figure of leaven is very important in the Bible. But it also often carries with it a negative idea of somebody influencing us in a bad way. Which is going to lead me into our second idea. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I said the faction of the Pharisees. The word faction here describes a small particular group. And when we think about the Bible people from the Old Testament coming into the New Testament, you had the people of God, the Jewish people, but you had some people who were separate in that group. They were noted for what they believed and what they practiced. We talk about the Pharisees, we talk about the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Herodians and others such as that. And the Pharisees had some unique beliefs some unique characteristics. The first you can notice by their very name, Pharisee. What does that mean? It means separate one. That's a pretty good way to understand them as a separate one because they separated themselves from all the Gentile influences. They would not associate with a man who was a Gentile. They definitely wouldn't eat with him. But they didn't want to have anything to do with it to the point where they would even wash their hands after they had gone to the marketplace lest they touch something that a Gentile had touched. But beyond that, they also separated themselves from the Jewish people that they didn't think much of. Quite frequently, they would criticize Jesus because he would eat with the tax collectors and sinners. He would go to the house of a man like Simon or he would associate with a man like Matthew, Levi, who was a tax collector. Or a man like Zacchaeus and go to his house with him. And everybody, the Pharisees were truly upset. You don't have anything to do with these people. Likewise, people who have been practicing sinful behavior, like women of ill repute. The Lord would often speak with them and try to persuade them to do right. And the Pharisees, no, you can't have anything to do with them. That's why they were considered to be separate and apart. But as you think more about them, the Bible is pretty clear about their conflict with the Lord. If you will, let's go back to Luke chapter 12. And uh, since you're going to be using your paper Bibles, you can look back at the end of chapter 11. And Luke records for us, rather interestingly, some details about them in verses 53 and 54 of Luke chapter 11. And as he said these things, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him, vehemently, and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something that he might say, that they might accuse him. Notice carefully, as Luke tells us here, that they are assailing him vehemently. They are after him very harshly, in fact they're watching every word that he speaks because they're trying to find some way to make an accusation against him, and they feel that they will doesn't take long reading through the New Testament before you find the Lord in conflict with them once again and again and again in Matthew sixteen verse one. The Pharisees came to him, testing him: "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason?" That's Matthew nineteen three, or Matthew sixteen one. They came testing him and asked him if he would show a sign from heaven. They're testing him. They're testing him over and over again. You can imagine the kind of conflict that would have brought with the Lord. Perhaps one of the most clear ones is found in Mark chapter 7. It would be valuable to turn to this passage. Because if you go to Mark chapter 7, you'll see the kind of conflict that arose between the Lord and the Pharisees. And it will show you a little bit about the way they thought. Just drop down with me to verse 3. We don't have time to read all the details here. For all the Pharisees, or the Pharisees and all the Jews, do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. Verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask Him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? This is not, as you might suppose... Like your mother saying, before you eat, you wash your hands. Because most of us, as we were as children or maybe even as adults, were touching things that were actually physically dirty and we need to clean our hands. But if you'll notice verse 3 particularly, says, in a special way. In fact, they would wash the left hand and then the right hand and then the left hand again, and then they would wash it where it drained off Because they didn't want any ounce of Gentile filth to be on them. Although you had to do it in a special way. And when the disciples are not going through this elaborate procedure, why are your disciples not following the traditions of the elders? And the Lord's response to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition he says, "You teach his doctrines the commandments of men. What the Lord does is point out, you Pharisees, you've made your own set of laws, and not only have you done that, you have nullified some of God's laws to keep your laws, your traditions." All oh, that tells you a lot about them. Now, if you will, go with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. This is one of those lessons where you recognize there's no way for you to cover everything that the Bible says about them. But I would not be fair to you if I did not mention Matthew 23 in our discussion of Pharisees. This chapter, the Lord calls them hypocrites numerous times. In fact, seven times in this chapter, he refers to the Pharisees as hypocrites. I want you to look with me at verses 13 through 15 to begin with. Verses 13 through 15. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses... And for a pretense, make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel the land and the sea, and to win one proselyte, and when he is won, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Let me take verses 13 and 15 to begin with. You won't allow people to enter the kingdom of God. The Lord would say you've taken away the key of knowledge. You've made it difficult for people to see the kingdom and to know what it is and to go in it. John the Baptist and Jesus both had preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and they were trying to confuse men, to divert men. They wanted them to be Pharisees. He said, you compass the land and the sea to make one proselyte. You want people to follow you. You don't want them to follow the truth. And then verse 14. Oh, verse 14. He said, you devour widows' houses and for a pretense, pretend." You make long prayers. These people would get up and pray a, a long, beautiful, eloquent prayer, while at the same time they would leave and go out and to take advantage of the poor, helpless widow. You know, it's one thing to come into church and sing, "Oh, how I love Jesus! Bless be the tie that binds," and then go out and take the Lord's name in vain, and then to speak bad about your brother. That's who the Pharisees were. Drop down with me to verses 23, 25, 27, 29. The odd verses, if you will, beginning with verse 23. And the Lord said, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith These you ought to have done and not left the others undone. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed outwardly appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones. And all uncleanness. Then, verse twenty-nine. What do you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites? Because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. I've just. I've got to find some place to stop. I want you to look at what he has said here. They pay the tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. We're talking about the various seasonings that they used. They would grow various seasonings that they would put in their food. The mint, the anise, the cumin. And he would say, what you're doing, you're counting out 10% of that. Oh, you're, you're being so meticulous and trying to make sure that you keep the law in detail. But he said, what you've done, you've ignored the more important parts of that law. The justice, the mercy, the faith. And then he uses two illustrations, which may almost be comical in some degree. He said you cleanse the outside of the cup. I want you to think some of you who drink coffee about your coffee cup this morning. When you get through with it, you rinse it out. You may have even washed it already this morning. But I want you to imagine, what if you wiped the outside of that cup really good, but you left the insides in there, and then tomorrow you pour some more in there. Did the same thing tomorrow. The next day, and pretty soon, the inside of your cup is just full of all kinds of nastiness. The Lord said, that's what you're doing. Outwardly, you appear to men to look nice, to clean, beautiful. And just like the whitewashed tombs. Of course, you go on and you read what he says. He said, you adorn the tombs of those monuments of righteous people. But he said, what you do, you are the sons of those who kill them. These people are nothing more than plain old hypocrites. But let me point out to you that some of them became Christians. Some of them began to have some influence in the church. If you'll turn with me to Acts 13, or excuse me, Acts 15 now for just a moment. Acts chapter 15. And I want you to notice the statement that Luke records in verse 3. Acts 15 and verse 3. Peter had gone to Caesarea and had converted the household of Cornelius. Paul then began a missionary effort in Acts 13 to go among Gentile congregations and had converted people all throughout what we would call today central Turkey and come back to Antioch in Syria. And it says there that some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Did you see, Luke said, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. Why would there be people who were Pharisees become Christians? They believed in the afterlife, Acts 23, verse 8. These are people who believed in the resurrection of the dead. And to talk about Jesus being risen from the dead was certainly within what they would teach or believe. But you see, in their minds, you still had to keep that Old Testament law. And in order to become a Christian, you had to first become a Jew to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. That's not what the text says. They also were legalists. In Luke chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Due to time, I'm just going to have to summarize this one for you. The Lord comes into the synagogue. There's a man there with a withered hand. And they ask the question, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Jesus' response is, which one of you having a sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath day will not go and lift it out? And then He says, a man is worth more than a sheep. And He says to do good on the Sabbath day is good. And then He healed the man. With a withered hand. You see for them legalists are people who keep the law just because it's the law. Not because of the reason the law was given. There's no love in their keeping of the law. Do you keep what God tells you to do because God tells you to do it? And because you want to do and please God? Or do you do it just because you're trying to keep up a, a list, a checklist? You see the Sabbath day was given for man. For man's benefit. And what they had done, they had made it into a burden. Something which God had never intended. Now what happened in the first century is the Pharisees had made themselves really attractive and a lot of people were being influenced by them. I would suggest to you, it's just like Acts 19. There's a lot of people who are following along with the Pharisees. Because they sort of agree with the Pharisees. And here's the third part of our lesson. Facing reality. Do you suppose that there's anything within the teachings of the Pharisees that influences us today? I want you to go back with me to Luke 12 verse 1. And I want you to look and see what he says. And then let's ask ourselves the question Do we allow this to affect us? In the meantime, while an innumerable multitude had gathered together... ...so that they trampled one another... ...he began to say to his disciples, first of all... ...beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's a multitude of people there. And when you've got this large crowd of people... How many of them are really devoted to the Lord? Or how many might be Pharisees in that number or just waiting for the Lord to say something? There's so many of them, they're trampling one another. So the Lord turns to His disciples and tells them, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It can affect God's people. And if it can, I think it can affect me and you too. Peer pressure. Do you think that peer pressure can affect us? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 and let's go to verse 11. And let's see if there's something here that might... I'll just look down. I can't see the clock real well today, but I can see my watch and it says I'm out of time. Pardon me for just a few minutes. When Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him in the face because he was blamed. For before certain came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew himself and separated those who were uh, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews played the hypocrite with him so much that even Barnabas was carried away with his hypocrisy. Let me ask you the question. Any of you ever work in a job where... Somebody brings up the idea of the church and you are as silent as the tomb and you stand with the ungodly people but yet you come in, at church and you say, oh, I love the church and I love the Lord. If you are swayed when you're in one location and act differently than you do in another location, you're being a hypocrite. And the leaven of the Pharisees has affected you. Matthew chapter 6. Again, I'm not going to read this. But in chapter 5 verse 20, he said, Your righteousness has got to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Chapter 6, he talks about giving of alms. And he talks about the praying of prayers. And he says, there are some people who do it to be seen of men. Matthew 23 verses 1 through 12. Well, I had so much more than I needed for today. You never know when you don't have the slides behind you how much timing is going to affect you. But you look at all the things that they did to be seen of men. Do you ever do something so that somebody will see you and pat you on the back rather than doing it for God? If you do then the leaven of the Pharisees has affected you. One more, and then I'm going to, This will be it. Luke 18. He told a parable of those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You know what the Pharisee prayed? He said, Father, I thank you I'm not like other men. And then he began to say, I'm especially not like this tax collector. The tax collector would not even look his eyes toward heaven, beat himself on the breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee was self-righteous and thought, look at me, look what I have done. God ought to be glad that He has me as one of His followers. The tax collector... Admitted his lack of ability. Have you ever stood and said, Hmm, I'm pretty good. In fact, I'm real good. In fact, I'm one of the best Christians you can ever find. If you've done that, then the leaven of the Pharisees has affected you as well. You see, the studying of the leaven of the Pharisees is not just to fill another lesson, it's to talk about what kind of things can affect us. And if you are here and you understand, as the tax collector did in Luke 18, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You recognize that you're a sinner, that's good. You recognize that God is the one who extends mercy. That also is good. Now the question arises, how will I respond to that? If you're not a Christian, here's what you do. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. You repent of your sins. You confess your faith in Him and you're baptized. You come down right here this morning and you tell me that you want to become a Christian. We'll assist you with that immediately. If you're a child of God and you look at your life and you say, you know what, I've been living the Pharisees' life and I need to be restored, we'll pray with you. We're going to sing the song, I Bring My Sins to Thee. If you need to respond, please come as together we stand and sing.